0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Soccer Soccer. Crush, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. We are back, and we have an awesome episode for you. Um, Buckle in. We're going to have an interview with uh, Dominic Stevenson, who wrote our book club pick. Grab your Kleenex, guys. guys. So good.
1: It's a lot. It was. It is. Fantastic. Thank you to everybody who joined book club and met with us on the sixth. It was one of the best discussions. It really
0: was. We had so much fun. We've talked a lot about how it was just like one of the best soccer
1: chats we've ever had. And if you want to join us for book club, you know, hop on over to our Twitter, sign up in the Google doc. Um, We have a new book ready to go.
0: We do yeah next month or not next month <laughs> we're not that ambitious <laughs> next season in the spring we'll be um diving into what a lot of people have said when we have brought it up the greatest soccer book of all time um soccer in sun and shadow we're very excited
1: should join us in fact a little yes. incentive is we will we get- have an extra copy yeah we do and the
0: winner is you ready for me to hit it? Oh, oh, best yeah. that's one, yeah. Oh, yeah. I made a wheel. Here it goes. Oh, wait. The winner is <laughs> this is awesome. It's Casey. Yay. Yay. Casey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so fun. It's Casey.
1: Well, congratulations, Yay. Casey. Uh, I, we will get your address and mail you your very own copy. You'll probably get some stickers, too. Thanks for joining book club and hanging out and talking books with us. And stay tuned if you want to talk some books. Oh, yeah.
0: All right, crushes, welcome back. Uh, We are here with uh, Dominic Stevenson, and we're so excited. He is the author of our very first uh, ever pick for Soccer Crush Book Club. And um, his book uh, is... Uh, Get your head in the game, and in Get Your Head in the Game, Dominic Stevenson interviews a diverse cross section of characters in the football world—from fans to managers, from players at the start of their career to retired veterans, women's football stars, international celebrities, refugee footballers, and mental health professional. Uh, The book contains contributions from internationally renowned players, and Dominic reveals personal battles both on and off the pitch, touching on anxiety, depression, discrimination, trauma, identity, and recovery. Dominic is a writer, player, coach, and lifelong football obsessive, and we're very excited to be talking with him. Yes. Well, <laughs> if I didn't already say that. <laughs>
1: yes. Welcome, Dominic.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Um, before oh, Want to go first, Abby? I have a question. Before we jump into like the book, um, for those of us who read it, we know some of the clubs that you support, but if you would just... Could you just give us a list of which clubs are you a fan of?
2: Well, so I'm a, um, first and foremost, I'm a Sheffield Wednesday supporter. Um, I was, um, it's, uh, the, the family business as it were. Um, the very first photo of me on this earth is of me in my granddad's arms and I've got Sheffield Wednesday scarf around me. Um, but I, I also, um, Although I I wouldn't say I support any other team, I lived in Edinburgh for uh, three years, and so I followed a team there called Edinburgh City. Um, so I'd go down and watch them, and then my granddad's a Grimsby Town supporter, so I sort of keep an eye out for them because that's the area that I grew grew up. Um, so it's always nice to see them doing well. Although for the last sort of fifteen years they haven't been doing particularly well which is a, a shame
1: we can relate we can relate <laughs> yes. our, our local club is very very not good i
0: was so like excited that was probably the biggest surprise for me reading your book was to see the name of the club that that we support in there because we're all fc cincinnati fans and so when you interviewed john harks and we're like talking about our club i was like <laughs> fan girling a little bit it was very exciting <laughs> So
2: Yeah. Oh, sorry.
1: Oh, let's get this kicked off. Um, Our first question is, how did you decide which players or clubs or personnel to interview? Um, Did you have your pick or was it based off of who responded to your requests?
2: I mean, I had my pick to an extent. Um, There was only really one club, um that they didn't want to talk. Um th- there was quite a lot of people who suddenly sort of never got back to me. But there's one club in particular who very much went to um, great lengths to try and disassociate themselves from the subject. Um even though one of their players at the time was very vocal on the issue of mental health. Um and and so that 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 was a shame. But I think for, for me, one thing that I've always found really important is to try and find people who people can relate to that ultimately us um for the people listening the people read the book they're not earning 150 200 grand a week and even though when we stop and think we know that earning that much doesn't affect your mental health it's also very hard to relate to someone who is earning that and has that kind of status. So for, for me, it felt important to try and interview soccer players and coaches and so on who um, people could associate with. So people like Iffy who um who he played for loads of clubs in England and he played at Grimsby and Swindon and places like that. So it's not big glamour and then when it came to um the sort of soccer players and coaches from America that sort of stemmed from my interest so John Hart, for example mm-hmm. um I saw him play week in week out when I was young uh for Sheffield Wednesday and so in all honesty that was a bit of a, a fanboy effort as it were that I just really wanted to speak to John Arks, and I thought <laughs> I'm going to go for it. And thankfully, uh he's currently at Greenville Triumph, and um and they were super enthusiastic and so keen and so helpful. And I think if if he'd have said that he didn't want to do it, I think the club secretary would have uh, gone round to his house and kicked him in the ass and made him do it. So <laughs> I'm
1: so glad you did, and I think that is. You have such a wide variety of people that you talk to. And I think it's important to keep in mind that it affects the entire community. Um, it's, there's not one point. Like, you're right. If you're making loads of money a week, you're still likely to, you know, experience this stuff if you're not. But keeping it relatable. And I think you did a really balanced job of, like, making that obvious. Because um, it's not just players they're coaches and any other personnel there are fans that also experience this so I think that is one of the brightest spots is that you just kind of hit the whole gambit of everyone in the community
2: really- um, the, the, what, the, I'm so pleased that that's something that stood out because that's really what I wanted to do that for me the the way I see it in I'm not sure if the numbers in Um, across the pond in the US but in in the UK there's 60-70 million people I would wager that everyone is related to a football fan and as we all know we've got friends family loved ones they pick up on our moods they pick up on our mental health they pick up much like they would on our physical health um And if we're down, they're down. And because they love us, they want the best for us. And so I feel that soccer can be a really positive way of supporting the mental health of not just the individuals, but the whole nation. And I think at the time, obviously, with what's going on in the well, globally at the minute, but what's going on in the UK politically, what's gone on in America uh, politically, I think really we all need a bit of a mental boost. And I think soccer can do that, but we have to work together. We have to recognise that our fellow fans are suffering. We have to recognise that the players are suffering. And it's strange that I've never felt so in love with, with soccer, but i never felt so detached from it either.
1: You can call it football. <laughs> I, I,
2: know, I know, but you've got this funny game with, like,
1: That's an egg great.
2: that sort of gets thrown about and it stops every three seconds. And That's... I don't want people to be confused.
1: <laughs> oh, they'll okay. be fine. They'll, they'll be fine. It's a global... Okay game and we're the only country that calls it soccer so (laughs) you're clearly wrong we still use fahrenheit i didn't even hear what you said beth oh i think it's red
3: okay Um, um my favorite part was the part where you had interviewed the club doctor i thought that chapter was incredibly fascinating being able to look at it from a different perspective hi red um, to visit
0: us with her oh we teams. love her she's here she clearly had something to say so i thought i'd bring her over
3: you he did red your opinion is now she's done tied <laughs> but i really love that part just being able to hear i don't know just because everyone wants to see right they're like oh well this person they got hurt last time why aren't they playing a full 90 and it's like well clearly they just came off injury like when Lukaku came back and people were like, oh, he's not starting. Well, he just came out from being off for like a month. Give him time. So it was really nice to see how the club doctor was able to explain those behind the scenes decisions. And I don't know, I just,
1: I really like that. I think I, it, it, as a fan, it, it kept a lot of things into perspective. Um, what did I, something came up in, when we were having the the big group discussion where it came down to, because we don't know what these players or coaches are going through and we have all these loud fan opinions especially social social media exacerbates that but we're not the ones picking the team on Saturdays Um, and because we're not privy to that information and we shouldn't be that's not our business as a fan we have to support the club and the decisions that they make whether we necessarily agree with them or understand them and I think that that was an important way of keeping that into perspective. I'm not a doctor. I shouldn't be making those decisions. You should
3: not. Or having
1: those opinions. You're also not a Bailey coach. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm <laughs> definitely not a coach in the supporter section either. That's I think our our biggest complaint of our soccer community here is that everyone thinks they're a coach.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, a global phenomenon that everyone believes that given Given off the chance, they could take their team to the top of the league. Here's why
3: I could. Championship management. I don't know about you, but I 100% could. Give me a club, let me prove it.
0: (laughs) I I just realized while we were talking that you are wearing a forward Madison jersey. Yes. And I love it. (laughs) It's so good.
2: Thank you. I've I've got a, a collection of about 180. Uh, football shirts oh my gosh
0: sure, I thought that's I had an excellent ball. contribution they have many uh beautiful ones that you could have picked uh, for your collection
2: no they do and this was a, a gift from my partner for my birthday this year so Aww,
3: um that?
2: She's, I love it yeah she she lives in Scotland so she's been visiting um and she went went home today so I thought I'd sort of wear it as a homage to her and an homage to you my hosts as a American soccer fans.
0: Well, I love it. One of the participants in our discussion last week was a uh, Ford Madison fan, so they'll be very excited uh, Uh when they listen to the episode.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Are there any topics that you feel you want to explore in another book? Yeah.
2: So I started writing um, a sort of follow-up and I, I really want to explore how people can use football more positively in the world because I think it's a game that do you know I I think something like one in four people in the world is a fan or a player or a coach or involved in the game in some way and I think that means that one in four people has the opportunity to positively impact on their community and whether that's something like um, I've already spoken to the chairman of Tinkle Spartans in Scotland, in Edinburgh. Um, and they, during the pandemic, they did things like, they made all their coaches and volunteers, made packed lunches for the elderly people in their community, and then they delivered them. And they did sort of doorstep delivery, and they did it every day for six months. And that's the power of football. So all those people were brought in together by football and then when they couldn't play football they use that energy to do something really good in their community and I think that's definitely something that I want to explore because I think throughout the book I found that I I felt like I picked up many sort of stones of information but almost like I am um, picked up the bottom one and so loads of other things fell out, and I mean it's obviously going to be the way because I'm a football fan, a football coach, football um, player back in the day, and I've not got the answers to why the world has mental health crisis. But and and that was never my intention, but I just wanted to shine a light on it because. I come from a very working class, I think in America, you probably say blue collar. Is that right? Um, area where lots of people um, worked in the steelworks, fishing industry, coal mines, things like that. And they're the kind of people that you see them at the funeral and they tell you off for crying. And And they weren't brought up to express themselves and so now in football stadiums in the UK I think you've got this one group of fans who've been going for years and years and years who if you shot them in the face they wouldn't admit it hurt mm. and then you've got younger fans and a lot more female fans and trans and non-binary fans who um, go into matches and they're very expressive with their emotions and their feelings and I think it it creates not conflict but confusion that I think neither side takes the time to talk to the other and I suppose what I wanted to try and do with this book is to write something that to an extent bridged the gap between the different types of fans with different emotional experiences because I don't like the fact that people call... I I grew up in a um, town called Grimsby and I don't like the fact that that town has a bad name for lack of intelligence, for poverty and things like that because it's full of good people with great hearts but no one ever stops to talk about that. And so I wanted to demonstrate all of that and that there's real positivity in the thriving community in these places and I'd like to think I did a bit and that I think people have responded well. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd hope.
1: I, I think so. And I think you touched on this a little bit, that kind of a follow-up is, were there any topics that once you started researching that kind of grew or went into a direction that you didn't expect? I'm sure, like, when you start writing, you have some idea, um, you know, that I'm researching this, this is what I think I'm going to follow. And then it, it kind of went just a different direction or kind of grew a little bit bigger than you thought it would be.
2: I think, so one of the big questions that that, that I had for, for one particular chapter was when I interviewed Atiyad nahui from Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and he was... Um, his family fled Kosovo during the Civil War. And I I really wanted to ask him the question, after you've fled Civil War, after you've had to leave some of your family behind to be bombed, do you give a flying fuck that someone in the stands calls you a wanker because you missed a shot? Do you care? Does it impact you in the slightest... And that was really the crux of the interview for me. that Because we've all been to soccer matches or heard them on the radio or watched them on TV and fans give players such stick. Yeah. And what I wanted to know is when you face that kind of adversity in real life, does it matter? And... It... I think the answer really was it does to an extent that no one's going to bomb you from the side sort of a football pitch, but equally you're putting your everything in to make people happy and they get cross with you for it. And that's a, a shame. And one bit that... um that was actually asked to be cut from the book. Um, so so I did do it. Um, I cut it is that um he he said to me, and and this is paraphrasing, so I hope no one quotes me on it, but that um that he didn't care what people shouted at him after the match. He said, as long as you cheer me on for the ninety minutes you can boo me, you can shout at me, you can scream at me as soon as the whistle goes, say what you want, I don't care, but when I'm on the pitch fighting for you, I want to hear you cheering me. And that was felt really important to me that that much like, well, I, I came on here, I mean, I've heard the podcast, we sort of all followed each other on social media, I didn't think you were going to come on and start slating me. But there's that element of vulnerability when you put yourself out there and and that's the same with footballers. That do you know what I mean? Like I wrote a book and that doesn't you liked it. That doesn't mean everyone in the book club liked it or everyone who's read it liked it. And much like in a football match, sometimes you hit, sometimes you miss. And they're human beings, and I think that's all too easily forgotten, which is a real shame, because I think as fans, we demand loyalty. We demand effort. But why would you be loyal to a group of fans who spend 90 minutes every week screaming at you and harassing you on the street and... There was um, uh, there was Sheffield Wednesday fans who went round to one of the players' houses when um, um, they said they wanted to leave the club and went and were harassing him and his family. There was a, a threat of sexual assault made against the captain's toddler. Wow! Um That's
1: disgusting.
2: And and things like that all over so social media. Um, and why, why would you want to pull on that shirt? Why would you mm. want to make an effort? Why would you want to make those people happy? Yeah. And that's so, something that I'd love to explore more. Um, I mean, ultimately it's a job, but I don't go into working have threats. And I hope no one listening goes into work. And those threats, and if you do, you should say something.
0: It's pretty rare, but I was gonna um, say Beth might get a few, of them. <laughs> unless you were <work laughs>
3: <waiting laughs> during the holiday season.
1: I definitely had the threats then. No, but yeah. you do say that very early on in the book, um and I think Dan posted that page or that quote right when he started reading it. Is that you know I don't. You don't go into somebody else's workplace and yell profanity, profanities at them. Why would you feel that you are entitled to do that um, at players? And it was like, oh, my God. it was, Yeah, th- I exactly. I think sometimes
3: people feel like when you support a club that these players owe you something. So you, because you pay for these tickets, right, you pay to have these experiences, you pay for these jerseys, that you have some sort of like claim over them where you're allowed to treat them like that. And clearly yeah. we know that isn't the case. But I think it's a lot of entitlement, and
2: that's a problem. Oh, yeah, totally. And I think football has gone in a very strange direction. That as fans, we demand the best. That we demand that we sign the best players, that we win the games. But we also demand that ticket prices don't go up. We also demand that we all spend five million pounds on a new star player and pay them fifty grand a week. But then we also complain if we don't make money selling our assets. And there's there's a sense of like, when is enough enough? And what? And I mean, it's like. Newcastle, lately, the, they obviously got taken. I don't know what the news has been like in America, but uh, for anyone listening doesn't know, they've been effectively taken over by the Saudi government.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they've covered it here pretty well, yeah, I think. I mean, I don't, you know, oh, okay. as, far as I can tell. <laughs>
2: yeah. um, but what got me is that all of these Newcastle Newcastle fans were like oh, this terrible regime is over. And yeah, the previous owner didn't sound like a particularly nice guy, but they were a debt-free football club who were mid-table in the Premiership. What more, realistically, can be asked for? And people were going on like they were the most hard-done-by fans in the history of the world. While you've got teams like Berry who went out of business. You've got teams like Derby County who are on the verge of going out of business. You've got um, teams who are can't afford to pay wages, things like that that don't have the opportunity to... Um, when they talk about the January transfer window or the summer transfer window, they're talking about spending billions. Whereas you've got some clubs that will go to the wall and die because they've not got 20 grand for a tax bill. And so it's that challenge that football has at the minute of expectation. And we know there's, I mean, in England now, there's, I don't know, about 17 places in Europe or something like that with the Europa Conference League and things like that nowadays. But people obviously want to be up there competing, but not everyone can. And at some point that's got to be fine. That that Everton are going through similar at the minute, they spent a lot of money and achieved very little for it. Um but at some point teams have got to accept they'll probably be mid table. And like the European Super League I think it's a terrible idea. It was awful. That was yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was mainly bothered about the environmental impact. Um, but for, for me, if those clubs care so little about their fans and the history of football, sod them. Like part of me was like, sod them go, like kick them out, banish them from European competition, from UEFA competition, from FIFA competition, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you've got well-run, functioning teams that don't rely on um, oil billionaires and states that throw members of the LGBTQIA plus community off the top of towers, suddenly they're allowed to maybe get into Europe or win a trophy or have a chance at winning a game.
1: I yeah, I fully agree saying that as a fan of a oil money club. Um, where do we leave off? Oh, what was the most enlightening part of your research and were there any stories or interviews that you wanted to include but couldn't? I know you talked about this a little bit.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I like, there were some people that I asked to take part. I think the only disappointment and this was from a personal perspective really um I got invited to Carrington to the Manchester United training ground to go and interview some players and talk to staff and the players about mental health and things like that and it was all arranged and honestly like I know I've just been on a bit of a anti Rich Club thing there but, <laughs> okay. but but they were so nice like they were so nice, so welcoming, so encouraging and supportive, and they were so. No, like, there's there's one point where for for some reason, my hotmail stopped. Um, I tried to block some spam, and I accidentally blocked like every domain thing. So I didn't receive email for about two weeks, and I thought everyone hated me. And the guy from Manchester United, like, found me and found my phone number to call me to... Because I'd not responded Mm -hmm. to his emails. And, you know, when it's like when they go to that much effort. Um, And then it was all all arranged and then COVID.
1: Uh, So it was all
2: unarranged, sadly. Um, But, I mean, that that would have been a a personal highlight just because of the stature of the club and the history of them. But... Mm. I mean, most of the interviews asked for I got. Um, I'd love to have... I think you could write a whole book on Kelly Lindsay, um, who was the Afghani uh, women's national team coach. And she's now working with Lewis FC in the UK. And you could write... I mean, you could write an encyclopedia on her. Well, what she's forgotten more about football than most of us will ever, ever know. And she's just a colossal, absolute colossus of a woman. And, yeah, I mean, I'd love to to have written more about her. Um, And then I'd like to explore a few more things in detail, but equally, the more I went into it, the more... I felt like it became my responsibility to try and open doors for other people. So, for example, um, I wrote about, um, I interviewed uh, some trans footballers. And I found that really important. And my ex-brother-in-law is trans. And so it was was an issue that was very close to my heart. Um, And I really wanted to do a good job of representing the community, trying to be really positive. What I realised afterwards is that I, I'd i love to tackle that subject in loads more detail. Mm. What I'd love even more is to mentor a trans writer to tackle that issue.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, because... It feels, it feels very complex, I think, as a sort of white cis het man, it's, I can get doors open, and and, and that's wrong. Well, that's absolutely wrong.
1: Well, yeah, but you're acknowledging your privilege, and I think that that is, yeah. the, that is the biggest step is, you and know. And if you can use your privilege to help here. open
3: doors for others, that's the most important yeah. thing.
2: Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's the thing that I always theoretically knew that that was the right thing to do. But once I put into practice, there were things that I sort of came across in conversations with the people that I spoke to. And I was like, I'd love to explore that further, but I don't get it. Yeah. So all I would be doing is asking very basic questions, and there'd be no real interrogation of what's going on, of the impact of things. And so yeah, like, I'd love to do, I'd love to do that, supporting other writers, because I think I'd I'd like to think I've opened a door. Um, and I'd like someone else to walk through it on that issue, on the issue of race as well. And and I think you've only got to look at um, the work of like Marcus Rashford and Carl Anker who, um. Marcus Rashford is the headline name on the book and Carl Hunk is the smaller version. But um, they've done so much on the issue of race and so on that I'm just really chuffed to see people being given those opportunities at last. And now that those doors are being kicked down, they can't ever, because they're doing it with such skill, there's not a case of they're opening the door. They're kicking it down, they're kicking it off the hinges. Yeah. And I think like with um the LGBTQIA plus community, I think there's so much more that can be done to support um them with with doing the same thing. And I think there's a magazine in the UK called When Saturday Comes that has a uh, women's and trans and non-binary um sort of journalism. It is not like a scholar, it's like a mentor scheme that they're running at the minute, that seems to be going really well and they're top people and it's just really nice to see. I mean, it's nice to know that I'm probably the the, the last cis-et white guy who's going to write a book like this. <laughs> it's a shame that it's probably the last book that any, <laughs> anyone will <laughs> want to publish in mind, but, but still, it's, it's nice that it's nice from a personal perspective that I got there at the tail end. I... And it's, it's nice to stand there and, you know I mean, watch the baton be, you know I mean, sped away into the sunset by the so
1: Yeah, it was exciting. Um, you mentioned, like, at the time you were writing it, you know, we didn't have any openly trans players. And then since we've read it, Quinn has come out, yeah. plays in the NWSL and also won the Olympic gold medal as a trans openly trans player. And Trisha and I saw Glenn play, um, a few months ago in September, Mm -hmm. incredible, just an incredible player. And, um, and that was exciting just from the time you've Mm -hmm. written it to where we are now. So I like to think that, you know, by this time next year, what other doors have opened since then? I don't think you're going to be running out of material anytime soon, but you know, you have a small part in that. And I think every little bit is is helpful and significant. Every, every step forward is significant, no matter how small. So. Yeah,
2: and, and I think it's very important to be an ally and to be a very openly visible one. And often, obviously with that comes a heck of a lot of privilege. That I can you know what I mean you can see in my bedroom I've got various flags dotted about and things like that and I've taken them off and I wear them to matches and uh, protest marches and stuff like that ultimately I'm a straight guy and if someone started having a go I'm, I'm I know that sadly I go but I'm straight like <laughs> that 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 is kind of that reflex reaction. And that is not good, that there's a way out. And so I tried to be a very active and open ally because I just it does make a difference. It may not always feel like it. And I think privilege for, for me, is knowing that change will come. The real downside is I see so many people suffering, so many people in pain, so many people... A like, um, f- f- friend of mine um, called Sammy, she's uh, the highest um, level trans footballer in the women's game in England. And she gets... So much abuse on a day-to-day basis that it's not. I she she tweeted something that I saw just before I came on on this call, and she said, "I don't believe that cis people could live trans lives, whereas all trans people have had to live cis lives, and we were fine with the mundanity of it." And that's true. That I I get really angry. Like, I know that you'll, when this comes out, you'll tweet about it and you'll tag me and I'll retweet it. And then I'll be anxious until someone goes, oh, well, that was good. Or, and if someone says it's rubbish and that was talking a lot of shit, it will devastate me.
3: They will not say that. We won't allow it.
1: No. Don't worry. <laughs> Everything was, and I said before we started recording is that, um, we had this incredible book club meeting with the people that read this book. And it really was the best soccer conversation that I have ever had. Um, And, you know, we, we talk about it a lot. We talk with a lot of different people, but it, it opened up some, like the, the dam is busted. The floodgates are gone and we were people Talking about a game we loved. It was no longer tactics or my team or anything like that. It was this bigger conversation of us in a community and us as human beings supporting each other and lifting each other up and um, all these stigmas that we've experienced or all these things that we've experienced at matches. um, And you know, this was the foundation of it. Dominic, it was your book. It brought us together and now we're having conversations and and that's what you're putting out into the world. So, you know, if, if you can send the haters our way, we're very good at dealing with them. <laughs> <laughs> we send them. Yeah, but,
2: but, <laughs> oh, no, and no, no, I I appreciate that. And I like, I'm always uh, like, part of what part of the reason I was so keen on doing this is is because I I love being part of this community and, and I love the fact that I'm sat here in a bedroom in London and you're halfway around the world and we're talking about the thing that unites us, that brings us pleasure, brings us joy, brings us frustration and and that's really, really beautiful. But I think do you know what I mean? Sometimes I got to put my big boy pants on and not not everyone will be a fan, but that's nothing compared to what others face and and I think that really stood out to me when I wrote the book is that whatever and this isn't about mental health because I believe that everyone else everyone's mental health challenges are individual and unique and as challenging as anyone else's that that all of us have got. Things that the challenges, but I also know that no one criticises me for existing, and and that's a big difference. I'm stood here, stood, sat, talking to three extraordinary people, and I'm the only one who has never been abused, belittled, been probably threatened or um, insulted for just that I could walk into, I'm sure, any bar in America where people are watching soccer on TV and people would listen to my opinion on the MLS before they listen to you guys, even though I know Jack, all about it. This is well, the first year I've understood.
1: Don't give us that much credit. <laughs> okay. We don't know that much either. <laughs> 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 it's also in my list. But This is a,
3: <laughs> a one serious. <laughs> uh,
1: no, but I mean, it, it's
2: it's the first year I've understood that whole playoff system. That I just—it's dumb. It seemed that you've got two leagues that play each other. But don't compete with each other, and then all of a sudden, pretty much everyone just plays a few more games, yeah. And yeah. then someone wins like a different trophy.
1: And yeah. but you, can, you can be I'm a soul. fan of the worst club, and your team's not getting relegated at all. You can, you'll just be back next year, yeah. To yeah. Being the worst team in there the league yeah. to lose, except you know, your dignity.
0: <laughs> which has been gone, yeah, which we lose <laughs> over and over again. <laughs>
2: got, I'm, I'm a chef, one to be I haven't got much of that
0: line. <laughs> you fit right in. So um, I have to say, and this is not on our list of questions, but just something that I I noticed because I I you know I work in um, in mental health, and there's this like theme, this thread through your book about like that kind of touches on trauma and resilience and i just I just had to say that I really love that that there were so many moments that made me think about work that I do in um the work that people that I work with do in trauma informed care and um and whether it was intentional or not that concept just continued to grab me as I read through there um especially the um the piece about the um the young man who had had that terrible tragedy with his father and um was really a skeptical of doctors and um the doctor the folks working with him like took the time to like make sure that he felt safe and comfortable before they kind of pushed things any further and um i just had to i just had to say that i loved it i talked about it in the book club meeting and um, it was just something that really stood out to me no, thank you all so know. much not and a question I, just had to just had to give you no, that
2: no, no. no i appreciate that thank you i should get you to write the blurb from for the back of all my books
1: we would do it it would be so glowing
0: we're on board sign us up
1: (laughs) so what did you
0: go ahead trisha go Go ahead trisha okay
3: so as a follow-up like if you could have interviewed anyone for this book who would it be and can i make a suggestion for book two (laughs) i would love to see an interview with nadia nadim of racing. You know, she is an Afghani yeah. player. You know, her father was yeah. assassinated. She went to Denmark. Now she plays for us. She's going to be a doctor. Like, I would just love yeah. to hear her perspective on a lot of this.
2: Oh, I mean, I I don't think I'd dare that she is... Do you know sometimes you read about people and you like, you're barely human, that you are... That phenomenally gifted as an individual. That she speaks something like 10 languages or yeah. something ridiculous, is training to be a doctor, obviously went through all, all she did. And you just. What I, what I found challenging <laughs> writing the book is that those were the type of people that I was talking to. Like, really phenomenally gifted people. And I felt like such an imposter. But it really drove me to try and be so... Well, I I put my heart and soul into it because I felt that they deserved that. The, the very least I could do was put everything that I've got into telling their story because they were kind enough to share with me some of the darkest things in their lives and they trusted me and I didn't want to let them down. And obviously like we're... Um, John Hartz is in the book talking about the incident at USA 94 uh, with Andres Escobar. And that was one of the first times he's sort of spoken about it in depth. And some of the stuff that he said, I I didn't put in the book because I felt that it was almost almost gratuitous, that it, it would have made for amazing reading. But it wasn't, it served no purpose. That it it felt like emotional porn. Yeah. That, and and that wasn't what I want to do. Like, I didn't want to tell those kind of in-depth stories about incidents like that. Because I think that if people want to read about gore and read about... Tragedy and read about sadness on that level, they'll find it. The internet's a wonderful but equally cruel and hostile place, and you'll find that type of thing. But yeah, I I thought about the trauma and about the resilience and things like that, and that's what I wanted to focus on because I think that's important that where no one who reads the book is going to be in a situation where they make a pass that inadvertently leads to the assassination of someone else. But people who read the book may lose a loved one to crime, to murder, to cruelty. And they may think, how does one move forward? How does one learn to accept and learn to grow and learn to mourn and grieve and get on? And... That's what I felt was important, not a deep dive into how horrible it was, but more of an exploration of how did you face the challenges that were put in front of you. Um, If I could um, interview... I'm, I'm not sure there's, like, a single person that I'd like to interview Like, I'd love to do something around, like, if you have um, do you know when you get to, like, a special anniversary and, like, TV shows will get, like, 100 people, one born every year? Like, I'd love to do, do, like, a series of interviews, right? So, like, a 15-year-old in an academy, a 16-year-old, a 17, like, then someone in the first team, and then going all the way through to retirement and then into retirement. You know, in something like that, to get all the different perspectives as they go along, because of, I think it, it's a weird one that the people who have the most interesting stories, we only know they have the most interesting stories because they've been told relentlessly. Um, whereas I think in the book, like it opens with Sam Hutchinson and David Cox two players who in England and Scotland have done they built good careers but no one really knows that much about them but their stories are relatively untold and so I'd like to do that like get go around to the lower leagues and find people who have you know just a little gem of a story that just needs polishing off um, I know that's a really rubbish answer to that, that question oh, no.
0: um, not at all I want to read that book
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just think that the world has so many sort of fanboys of your messes and your other you know like household names that I don't think that would be interesting yeah. but I'd be curious about Messi in the sense that how does he think he can get away with tax avoidance, things like that? How can he escape a prison sentence when other people will go to prison for the same thing? I'd be curious about his perspective on that. Um, I don't
0: think he's going to give that interview. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> no yeah. so, sadly not. It's, it's amazing <laughs> how many. It's, it's amazing and how many of these footballers with all the money don't seem to want to give interviews on how they get away with heinous crimes. Mm-hmm. But, ah,
1: hmm. Interesting. Yeah, there's one yeah. particular one we don't She's talk about on. in our no. podcast that
2: no, no, yeah, no. don't
1: acknowledge I'm, his existence because yeah. you're just a garbage human being. Um, I did want to say that when you were talking about John Hark's story and you're talking about trauma and depression and sadness, I think you do it so delicately and it's all relatable. I, I don't think it's gratuitous at any point. I think it you have done such a respect respectable job with it that it it does come across. Um it's very thoughtful. It is very thoughtful. I mm-hmm. appreciate that you add your emotional reactions to it. Like mm-hmm. here you are a cisgender white hetero man and you said I cried. I, you know, you teared up you and for a man to speak so openly about their emotions, like Dominic, you just you tied the bow on it with that because you were living mm-hmm. what you're talking about. And that's what made it so relatable. You didn't feel like, I didn't feel like you were preaching at me at any mm-hmm. point. You weren't saying here's what they did, but I'm, you know, cause you're experience or you're sharing your experiences as well. And I feel like I know you because of it. Like, I feel, mm-hmm. I feel like I can relate to you as well as you're telling these stories. So I think that was a very, it was also a very bright spot for me.
2: Thank you. That, that- Means so much because as uh, as I said that there's large swathes of the football community who don't feel that they can express themselves emotionally. and I think for well, I uh, have always been quite an outwardly emotional person, and you know, when I was talking to Kelly Lindsay, Kelly Lindsay, for example, it was. I mean, I've I still got the recording of the interview and it was well there's a good five minutes where it's me going ah, ah, and she's sort of going ah, back to me and it's just and, and as well it sort of bonded us that that we I, th- I think that she understood that I was taking what she was saying very seriously and that I'd try and do that sort of respectful job with her story and that there wouldn't be a big headline there's not soccer player broke down at tragic news type thing like because that's not as I said that's not important and so I'm really pleased that you saw that and um, yeah as I said I tried to put all of me into it and because from a, a writer's point of view I kind of figured I'll probably only have one shot at this so if I leave anything on the table then I've wasted my own opportunity at a debut book um, and yeah so like I'd like to yeah I mean I'm a bit stumped and super flattered at, at what you're all saying and so, make, like making me a bit shy. If um, if it wasn't so late and I didn't have a bright light shining in my face from my lamp, then you'd probably <laughs> see me blushing a bit. So, <laughs>
1: um, what did you learn about yourself in this writing and research project?
2: Um, I learned that I've got a bit more resilience than I thought I had. Um, that I started, started writing the book. So I've got, it was, th- this week is the anniversary of it coming out. And it's also the anniversary of um, me getting commissioned to write it. So I sent the picture to the publisher. They were interested. They wanted it. And then they said, oh, your deadline's May. So I spent all this time preparing, like, Get like December, January, February, organising the interviews. I did one set of in-person interviews with the Sheffield Wednesday players. Um, And then the rest of it was sort of planned. And then obviously the news started of what was happening um, around the world with COVID. And then people started to cancel interviews that or maybe we don't know what's happening, so we'll see, we'll rain check. And then everything got cancelled. All the UK went into lockdown. And so all of a sudden I've been given some money to write a book, have a deadline approaching, have two interviews in the bag, and everything else has gone to pot. And I managed to pull it off. Um, and I wasn't sure if I would. I was quite ready to sort of get the money back and go, actually, this isn't possible at the minute. But with tools like the one where I'm now talking to each other across the globe, that's how I managed to do it. it took a lot of sort of strategic rearrangement. And I think... it would have been an epic project for someone like me I have a a range of learning difficulties, which means that I can sometimes struggle to communicate, um, whether that be, I have a a stutter as well, which means that sometimes I struggle to talk to people, but I um, struggle oddly, I work in PR and write books. And I struggle with my reading (laughs) and my writing. Um, I struggle with um, sometimes building and maintaining relationships um, because I can be very um, structure, plan orientated. If I have a plan and something goes off that plan, I find it immensely challenging to... It back that I either get really cross, that or sad that the plan has gone wrong, or I don't understand, and I really struggle to understand how things have gone. And so th- there was all that, and then on top of it, the world melted down. And at the time, I was working for a healthcare organisation in uh, Scotland, and so in the daytime. I was working with people who I didn't know if they would survive to the next day. That that each day we sort of did a bit of a roll call of has everyone made it, and that was obviously very um, challenging. And I mean, and again, I'm back office staff. Like the pandemic could have coped without me do, do you know what I mean but at the same time I was trying to tell the stories of the doctors who were on the front line and um, and it was so I sort of had that as my day job and that's obviously very difficult to let go like you don't turn your computer off at five o'clock and go oh that's fine now because it's on the news it's it's the fact that you can't walk to the pub or that you're only legally allowed to go for one walk a day. like that type, And so you can never escape that. Yeah. And so work never goes. And then on top of that, I've got this book to write. And it amazed me that the book served as such a positive distraction. And so the challenges I faced about the planning and organising and structure, my bread and butter of how life goes, they've gone out the window. I almost managed to cope with it better because there was a much bigger problem. Um, but yeah, I think it showed me that I'm maybe a bit more resilient than I thought I was. Um, but it also showed me um, how much I want to achieve and how much I want to do that ultimately I wrote a book where I interviewed 20 people or so that I think are phenomenally better than me in so many aspects of life and so basically yeah. I just set myself up to fail like out of all the people in the book I feel like they're the sort of least qualified to be in the book and yeah, I'm <laughs> the one that wrote it so do you know, it, it's given me drive to try and move forward and Sound like, I've been taking mental, um, mental health courses and things like that to try and further my own knowledge. Um, because I just like to be as positive an influence on in the world, whether that be through writing or volunteering or anything like that. that I can be.
1: Just. I, I think you're definitely well deserving of your of your own book. And I like that you have just ribboned your own story throughout it because
3: mm-hmm.
1: it that's what makes it so relatable. And yeah, you had this incredible cast of characters to, to talk to, but don't sell yourself short there. I think that your story is just as incredible and, and fascinating. Um here you're talking about playing, you know, around the world and I'm like, well. I've only left the United States like a couple of times, so, <laughs> you know, it to keep that into some perspective too, that your experiences are just as valid. And I think they, they spoke to me. I, like I said, it was, it was exciting for me to read something. I know exciting might not be the right word uh, of just, Hey, there's a man and he's openly talking about his emotions and, and not in a, um, sensational kind of way just in a we're related that you were two human beings relating to a story together and it elicits emotion and it should and I think that's something that we all are experiencing I think just our soccer community in general is pretty progressive and I think that we're all trying to fight some of the same things and it does get emotional and it's hard and um, I love how at the end of the book you say you talk about how somebody could use going to matches is their distraction. And there's definitely times for me that that's exactly it. When I am the most anxious in the entire world, when I I don't want to do anything else, having something like that to get me out of my own head a little bit is really what's, what's important. And I've built my own little community. I mean, I have you guys, I have a podcast here. Like, okay. I was like the whole pandemic, and I'm like, man, we really figured out how to do some podcasts. And you wrote a whole entire book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, keep that into perspective.
3: We we binge watched Tiger King and did a podcast <laughs> <talk>
2: about it. <laughs> yes. No, it's, it's a really strange thing that um, that people started sharing like quite quickly, or you know, the memes of like it's a pandemic, you don't have to do anything. Like, surviving is enough. Mm-hmm. And I almost felt really guilty. Like When it came to promoting the book, people had asked me about writing it during the pandemic. And as I just said, it was almost like a welcome distraction because of my job. But I felt really guilty for do, for doing that. Because obviously... I didn't have many of the responsibilities of the people I'd like. I've got no children, things like that. I was relatively self-contained. I kept my job. Um, but it was just that sense of, I f- yeah, I, I felt really guilty because everyone was sharing all these memes of, like, you don't have to do done anything. And I'm like, I'm sorry I wrote a book.
1: <laughs> I, feel,
2: I feel like I've let the side down.
1: No, but what what perfect timing as we all go through something kind of globally that we're all experiencing and, you know, maybe this is some people's first um, dealing with any kind of mental health issues or concerns. And, you know, I think that this broader conversation is coming to light more and more. So I think it was incredibly well-timed and, you know, thank you. For needing that escape, because I think there's a huge benefit to what you've put out into the world.
2: Mm -hmm. No, thank you. And I mean, same same goes for you all. That to build communities like this, that that have fun and 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 enjoy football for more than more than a result. That to me is the really gorgeous thing about what you guys are doing that that I, I, I don't know. Like, what I always say about football It is that uh, you spend, I don't know how much a ticket is in America, but you spend 25 quid on ticket to basically turn up, get angry at a bunch of strangers, shout abuse, probably be disappointed and then go home. Imagine if, you did, imagine if you went to see Hamilton and just stood there screaming at them for three hours <laughs> and then went home and you did it every week. Like, can you imagine?
0: <laughs> but I'm picturing but, it and it's hilarious, but also probably very inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, but,
2: but do you know what I mean? You've got people who love the individual characters, who love the individual actors, who love the soundtrack, who love the stage and who love the costumes. You've got all, all those different things. And so to talk in a way, but well, I know more about Half England theme through following you guys and the way you talk about them than I did before. Do you know? Aww. I mean, if I see one more top picture spectrum, Mason Mount.
3: <laughs> that's me. We're going to take the, yeah. the password, don't worry.
2: <laughs> it will be just uh,
3: RLC from now on. That's me.
2: <laughs>
1: um, Yes. But, yeah. I mean,
2: yeah. Yeah. But, but but stuff like that is so much fun, and like, it's really gentle, harmless community fun that shows a different dimension to the game. And why should everyone have to conform to that standard? Turn up to a match, get angry, go home.
3: Been there, like, done that.
2: Yeah, exactly. The
3: best part is getting Wendy's and just coming home. Yeah. I would much rather <laughs> yell at
1: the players from um, my couch and sweatpants. <laughs> Thank you. That is such a kind compliment because that is the space that we're- feel like
0: to- you really get us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's Top
1: oh. of Mason Mount and it's us trying to love everything in a very lighthearted way. And I, for us, and we've talked about this several times with several people, it came from a really pure place of- oh, well, you can't talk about the sport because you're girls and you don't know anything. So we were like, we can and we will, and then we're going to do it better. So there's so many ways that you can love what you love. I hate when people try to put too many like restrictions on that. Oh, you have to know this and you have to. I don't care about any. I don't know about it. I don't don't have any. All sides isn't
3: real. Like, just let us (laughs) enjoy and
0: mind your business.
1: Um, We do have very specific soccer crush questions to ask you. Um, Oh,
0: yeah. You can't come hang out with us and not answer some of our silly rapid fires.
1: That's fine. If you're going to ask me who
2: my soccer crush will be.
0: We are. That's the last one.
3: Come on. That's fine. Spoil it. Yeah. You want to go first? Yes. (laughs) What are some of your favourite soccer Twitter accounts and podcasts?
2: Oh, well, obviously, has to be you guys, the Soccer Crush crew. Um, oh, crikey. Um, so there's a new one on – I mean, this will be super niche for any listeners in America – called Sacked in the Morning. There's a BBC Radio Scotland one. Oh. And it's um, – The former Scotland manager, Craig Levine, and um, I can't remember the name of the other host, Amy, we'll call her Amy. She's a really, really good host. I think her dad used to play football. Um, And that's a really good sort of in-depth thing about football management. There's one called Under the Cosh, U-N-D-R, The Cosh. And that's hosted by a comedian and two former players. And for me, that is kind of the epitome of the perfect masculine podcast or the perfect masculine media. Because like, if, if anyone Googles um, John Parkin, who is the um, one of the hosts, like, he's about six foot five, he's about 25 stone. And he was a like he played up front for so many different teams, and um, and he's a proper gruff Yorkshireman, like ale drinking, flat cat wearing, whip it walking, like that type of thing. And it's this podcast with lower league footballers and things like that, and it they talk so well about mental health and about the challenges that people face. But they do it in a way that's so understandable by the people who need to hear it. And they're just so honest. And it's not like most of the episodes are just really funny. But some of them are so, like, I've been absolutely in tears watching them. And I'd credit them with... um do not mean very much helping me through dark times during the pandemic, that you say they're always an hour or so long, so you save them up and you go for a long walk, and four hours later you still listen, suddenly the world seems a little bit brighter. Um, and then there's um, Her Football Hub, um, which is, um, you probably know them, um, but I really like what they do. They've got a great website. They do podcasts. I support them on Patreon. Um, and then, oh, um, well, there's one more that I listen to all the time that I feel really bad that I've forgotten, but I can't, can't remember the name. It, it feels inappropriate to sit there on my phone looking at my list of podcasts. And like,
1: <laughs> okay, you can send them to us and we will um, – um, retweet them so everyone can also go find them and follow them and listen as well.
2: Oh, there's a, sorry, just remember. It's called coming in from the cold and it's a talk sport podcast. And it's about the history of um, people of color within football across the globe.
1: That's awesome. Um,
0: Thanks for that list stuff on there i have to check out ben, yeah I've, I've, yeah i'll take I the next like one
2: i feel like i'm failing at the quick fire element
0: of <laughs> <car>. <laughs> most people they end up usually being much more long-winded than an actual rapid fire um but which um which three soccer players do you want on your zombie apocalypse team
2: oh are they current? It doesn't
0: have to be no, so cool. yeah. and it can be. You can be picturing them at their top form if they're retired players. <laughs>
2: so on my on my zombie apocalypse list, yeah. Who's so? Who is this to chair? try and help me survive the zombie apocalypse? Yes.
0: Yep. There's so, been a zombie apocalypse. You have to stay alive. Which three players?
2: <laughs> so there's a centre back who played for Sheffield Wednesday called Guy Branston. And I mean, he's the most quintessential English footballer. Like, do you know those type of people who just walk headbutt a brick wall and the brick <laughs> wall would sort of cower away in fear? So
3: he's like a rock. Like,
2: yeah. No, like, you. <laughs> no, no. Like, he was the kind of player to have Roy King for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, I I'd, I'd sort of compare him to what I imagine like an American football quarterback would be, you know, like mercilessly run at people headfirst and they think that's fun. So I'd have him.
1: Yeah, that's, um, I would also like him on my team. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> um, I'd have Stephen Bywater, who was a is a goalkeeper. Um. He was a goalkeeper at Sheffield Wednesday, Millwall, Derby, Burton Albion, place like that. And by everything I've ever heard about him, he is a character. And he already has his car decked out with a zombie apocalypse survival kit. <laughs> that I found out listening to a podcast with one of his old <laughs> colleagues the other day that he has like go bags and canned foods and stuff in his car. Um, for such an occasion. And he's apparently like a real practical joker and fearless and everything like that. So I think, and, you know I mean, they say goalkeepers are a bit wild. So I think he'd be quite a good one for, you know I mean, going out and scouting the horizon. Um, and then I'd probably have to go for England consent about Millie Bright.
1: Oh, I love oh, yeah. that one.
2: I cannot imagine someone invoking more fear in other human beings. All you'd have to do is throw a football towards the zombies (laughs) and Millie Bright would smash them to fuck. But I I, I saw I went to England, uh, Northern Ireland a few weeks ago and she's just a phenomenal footballer. But I just... I'd be so scared of her. (laughs) So scared. And, yeah, she almost been like a Bobby Moore-esque that really graceful as a player, but terrifying. (laughs) And so, yeah, they would be my three, two centre-backs and a goalkeeper.
0: I think you're going to make it. Yeah. Through the apocalypse.
2: <laughs> i mean, with very little help from myself. But I'll, probably I'll be the one writing, like, the secret diary of the apocalypse survivors.
0: There you go. Someone has to organize the canned goods. So.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and most importantly, who is your soccer crush? Or
2: crush- so, so I was really racking my brains about this. Um, so there's a guy called Frederico Ven- Veniccio, um, who played for Sheffield Wednesday um, and honestly do you know you know sometimes like people are too beautiful to be real?
1: Yes. <laughs> Olivier Giroux.
2: Yeah. Like, I mean, for for me, he's got a bit of a square head. This is like... Um,
1: oh, he is a soccer crush. Gonna, he might need to get into the soccer Hello. crush. Does he have any topless photos that we could post on <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I mean, I have to be honest, I haven't looked into it that deeply. About That's what, that. what
1: we're here for. I
0: might have found some, don't but, worry.
2: But, we need yeah, to get we, him in
0: our uh, 25 days of crushmas. Yeah. Done. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, but, but yeah he's um, I mean he was a really really good player he he signed for Wednesday and didn't get a game for ages and then we got a few injuries and he came in and he was really really good and we should have signed him uh, but didn't and I mean there's not that many good looking footballers knocking out Sheffield so I mean I think that helped him stand out Um. So, yeah, but I've obviously bastardized his name a bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'd have to put him as my uh,
3: yeah, soccer, uh,
2: soccer crush.
3: I found the shirtless pictures. We're good. We Don't got you. you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's offline,
0: <laughs> she works that fast, folks. <laughs> I was going
2: to say, that's, that's some very swift, deep dive <laughs> image surgeon
0: Yes, you know what? We
3: all have a particular set of skills. (laughs) Yes,
1: I went the technical route.
3: I go the thirsty route. Apparently,
0: I don't know what my role is, but
3: you keep us from going crazy.
2: Keep them from getting arrested for (laughs) setting up cameras outside footballers' houses.
3: I would be the one most likely to
1: get arrested. I've been to matches with her. Oh, he has a puppy. Um, (laughs) So fantastic. Yes. You and um, I can't wait. I will most likely be rereading your book because I feel like it's a lot to take in the first time. And there's probably things that I missed and and I can't wait to support whatever you do going forward. And you have such a talent. And, um, and like I said, it was one of the best conversations that we've had. And um, if we need to get the group back together and we just need to have an even bigger conversation, if you need any help getting motivated or any kind of, um, I don't know, direction, <laughs> we have a group of people who, really loved your work and really to talk about it and it opened some doors and minds we talked for a couple hours we did we We did yeah an hour and then it was like two and a half hours later and all of us were like I think we have to go now (laughs) so (laughs) um, this was the best way to break in book club it is something we are incredibly passionate about and supportive of and thank you for all of your support and I wish we could just return the favor in any way because
2: no, I mean, I mean, this is huge. That um, do you know? Like this past year has been very challenging for everyone, and um, it's it's stuff like this that, that gets me through. That it's with books, it's very one is very quickly forgotten. That. Um, that you release it. And because mine came out in December, it was too late for recognition in, like, pre-Christmas reviews. And then once January came out, everything was about the best books of 2021. And so it sort of <laughs> fell in this, like, black black hole of, of publishing. Um And I think obviously with COVID people have been less inclined to talk about mental health and and so on. But like you say, can you do anything for me? This is amazing that the reason I wanted to write it was so that I could reach out to communities so that I could talk to people and engage with them and get to know them. And the benefit... Of this for me is tenfold what I could do for any of you guys. That you know, what I mean, like I've got to know you all and chat to you, and it is just an extra lovely dimension of, of my day. And you know, what I mean, to see the kind of stuff you post and to chat with you and just engage, you know, what I mean, like made three friends, and that's a really positive thing for me, like I'm not, I'm not always the easiest person to get on with, ask anyone who's ever met me. Um, um, but I, I think we're all evolving creatures and I think, I mean, my message to particularly men out there is therapy is sexy. um, and, do you know, what I mean? people, if you take just a little bit of time to consider your actions and the way you're living your life, even if you don't like what you see, people will respect the fact that you, you looked. And I, do you know what I mean, From following writing this, I took part in, various therapeutic processes and have done years before for um, depression and anxiety and things like that and it it does help and I, I get it that one may feel a sense of that you should be able to cope but no one expects you to and as I said therapy is sexy literally scroll down Instagram, you'll see it posted loads of times and it's liked by every woman under the sun and very few men. <laughs> and, you know, If there's any other reason for all you footballers out there who are looking for soccer crush um, <laughs> praise, then yeah, do it. And you don't have to be... Like, I think a, a big thing for me about this book... So this is a really long way of saying thanks for having me. Um, (laughs) Is is that so? So many people presume that mental health support can only come in crisis, and that's really not the case. It's not easy to access. Right, it's not easy to access. And here, it's not in the UK. It's not easy to access because of uh, government cuts and so on. And my understanding of the system in America is it may not be easily easily accessible if you're not financially um, able to s- sustain that. But it doesn't have to wait until the crisis comes. Yeah, and so please, um, yeah, thank you to in the book club. Um, thank you for having listened to this, and it really—you've made middle-aged white guy from England very happy. So, I mean, I'm not being optimistic about my life expectancy there. So, middle-aged—it's <laughs> it, just been been on Zoom this long and seeing how much grey hair I've got, kind of. You know, <laughs> it upsets me. Thank you
1: so much. It.
0: Yes. Thank you so much. It has
1: been one of the experiences. Yeah. Thank you. No, thank you. It really meant so much to me. And that is it for today, crushes. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com.
0: Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team. Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. And we would like
3: to extend another thank you to Dominic. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. All of the thoughtful conversation and the kind words we got a little emotional but that's okay. Uh, we don't have a new crush of the week coming your way for a couple weeks, but you can still send your nominations in. But you can only submit nominations if you promise to rate and review our podcast very positively. We will be following up on these. Don't forget to join our book club, and thank you for listening to.